0: for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals.
1: Hi, my name is Barbara Harris-Whitfield, and I had two near-death experiences in 1975 while suspended in a striker frame circle bed, which is really a strange-looking bed. It has two big chrome hoops. And suspended in the two chrome hoops is a stretcher. And I was on that stretcher for a month. Three times a day they would come in and they would rotate me up and over onto my belly to drain my lungs. But I couldn't move. The bed moved me. Yet I had these two elaborate experiences where I was gone into other realities. And I just have to tell you, until this happened, I was an atheist. I had been abused a lot as a child and had given up any idea of any kind of God because if there was a God, God would not allow what happened to me. So at this atheist at 32 years old, this was in 1975, this atheist met with God. What happened was my back was fractured and they were going to give me a spinal fusion operation. Now, a month before that, they put me in a full body cast from my armpits to my knees to help me to understand, first of all, how I was gonna live for six months after in this body cast. And second of all, they were testing to see if immobilizing my spine would take the pain away, and it did. So we had a lot of hope that this surgery was gonna work. But way back in 1975, The back surgery, the fusion was much, much more everything than it is today because today they can just do two little Band-Aid cuts. Back then I had huge incisions where they went in and they had told me that the surgery was going to last two hours and it wound up lasting five and a half hours. And by the time I got into surgery, I had lost about 35 or 40 pounds. I was on a lot of drugs for the two years a lot of pain pills, a lot of muscle relaxants. Some of them were Valium and then I just totally drugged. And I realized that I wasn't being a mother to my children anymore and I wasn't being a wife. To my husband, I was just this pain that was taking a lot of pills. So the surgery became my hope. And so I went into the hospital and had the surgery and was totally shocked when I woke up in this awesome bed. And about two days after the surgery, maybe it was a day or maybe it was two days, I'm not sure, but this all happened within a matter of the first week. But in the middle of the night, I woke up out in the hall. Now, I knew I couldn't wake up out in the hall because I was suspended in that bed and I couldn't move. But I looked up and down the hall and I didn't see anyone It was nighttime. The lights were dimmed. So I started to move back into the bedroom of the hospital and realized that I was nose level with a speaker that I knew when I came in was mounted on the top door, mounted to the ceiling. So I knew something strange was up, and what was really up was me. And I moved back into the room, and I saw my body lying in the circle bed, I just started to chuckle because they had put tape around my nose when they put a tube down my throat and I just, I looked really weird. It didn't bother me. I was okay with that. It was like for the first time in months, I wasn't feeling any pain. I wasn't feeling the confusion of the drugs. I felt totally clear and I looked down at her and her certainly wasn't me. Me was up near the ceiling and that was fine because I was peaceful. And the next thing I knew, I was in total darkness. And later on as a researcher, the word tunnel is about the best word we can come up with. But I have to tell you, everything I'm describing to you right now, it took me years to get the words. And it took me a long time interviewing other near-death experiencers to hear how they were describing it, to be able to put together something that really has no words. So in this total darkness, I was looking trying to see if there were any barriers. And what I could see was energy churning in the darkness. And out of that churning was coming lighter colors, lighter shades of gray that were moving down to collect and form what was the light. But I didn't look at the light. I was looking at this energy churning. And I mean, it took me a while, but I decided that that was the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit was in the darkness. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. It pulls light out of the darkness. And as I was watching this, I started moving. And as I was moving through this tunnel, I could feel that energy like swirling around me. I had this feeling of this vortex that was embracing me and that was moving me down. And it was moving me down to my grandmother. I used to call her my Bubby. And she had been dead for 14 years, and I had never once thought of her existing beyond her death. And there we were, we were back together again, and she drew me in to this lush warmth. My grandmother was about four foot 11, and she had this huge bosom. And as I moved into it, it was like I could be a little child again, being hugged by her. As we did that, We re-experienced all 19 years we were on the planet together. I saw every scene when I was with her. And at the same time, I realized she was seeing it too. And I could feel in my heart what I had felt at the time. And I could see all the scenes. And I knew she could too, that we were both re-experiencing our memories of each other in this lifetime. And, you know, to just give you an example, I must have been three or four years old, and I was there on a Friday alone with her, and there was a lot of expectation in the air because the whole family was coming for dinner that night. Our Sabbath is on Friday night through Saturday. So she asked me to help her prepare the meal, and she pulled over this wooden chair from the dining room table and she put me up on it. I mean, I can still feel her hands lifting me and putting me on the chair. And then she came around from behind me and she had her hands in front of me to protect me because we were standing at the stove and there was this huge pot of boiling water and She was showing me how to take the mixture that she had made, and it was a gefilte fish mixture. And she would put a little bit in my hand and I would roll it, and then we would drop it in the boiling water. And I can still, as I'm telling you this now, I can still smell what that smelled like. It was a very, very fishy smell. So she was making the bigger balls and I was making the little balls, and she was helping my hands to drop it in so I wouldn't burn myself. And when we were through, she pulled me on the chair across the room back to the table and i can still feel i mean everything that i'm telling you now is like it happened yesterday i still have such vivid memories of it because we were outside of time this was not a time experience this was eternity and when you're in eternity and there is no time i began to realize that eternity is right here it's a different dimension and if we can leave our body There we are. Eternity is here. So she pulled me across the kitchen on the chair, which was very funny. I remember just feeling this belly laugh. And she said to me, Don't move. Bubby will be right back. And she went into the other room and she came back with her hairbrush. And she brushed my hair into corkscrews. And I remember when she lifted me up and put me down, I ran into her bedroom and I looked in the mirror and I just thought, I look just like Shirley Temple. And then when we got to the end of her memories, where she died, I started to move away from her. I had no control over any of this. I was being moved away from her, but we both knew in our hearts that, that she would be waiting for me and she would be there when I come back again. And then I was back in my body, back in the circle bed, back with all the tubes and bottles and everything. And that was it. And when a nurse came in my room, I had to tell somebody. And I said to her, I left the bed. That's all I could say. I I had no words for this. And the nurse said to me, no, 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 honey, you hallucinated. The more I would be told by the staff that I had hallucinated, the more upset I was becoming. They would sedate me. So I learned very quickly not to talk about this. I mean, 1975, Raymond Moody's book hadn't come out yet, so nobody was talking about near-death experiences. And finally, I gave up, and about a week later, it happened again. This time, I was totally awake when I separated from my body. Um, I had become frantic because they had rotated me forward onto my face, and the nurse had closed the door. And I started calling, and then I started yelling for somebody to come and rotate me back because I had been on my stomach for a long time, and at that point, I think I weighed about 80 pounds. So I was really, really skinny, and the stretcher that they had was very hard, and it was getting really uncomfortable. I reached for the button to call, and the button had fallen away from the sheet. So I was frantic. I felt like nobody was ever going to come. It just seemed to take forever. And the next thing I knew, I was moving away from my body. I could actually see me in the circle bed and it looked like that scene was in a bubble. And then I looked out into space and there was another bubble that was way up on the left and it was me at about a year old, lying in my crib, crying. And I looked back and forth a couple times, confused and then thought, well, I don't want to be her anymore. I'm going with baby. And as I started to move towards the baby, this energy wrapped itself around me. This was more than what I had seen the first time. The only way, it took me years, actually, to use the word God. When I saw the movie Star Wars and they were talking about the Force, I knew, I knew this was the Force. And the force was wrapping itself around me and the force was in me and the force was me. And as we went to the baby, I realized that I could feel what I was feeling through God's heart. And I could see what I was seeing through God's eyes. And together we moved to the baby. And as we moved to this baby that was crying, it became a full cloud of thousands of bubbles, just this huge cloud of bubbles. And in every bubble was another scene from my life. And as we bobbed together through the bubbles, it also had a linear sequence of 32 years. What I saw as a child that I had not remembered was the abuse, like I was there again. I could feel it, I could feel what I was feeling, but I could also feel what my mother was feeling. She had been through a lot. She had a much worse childhood even than I did. And she was totally frustrated, and she was on a lot of pills, and she was always sick. And as I went through this, I could hear myself saying, no wonder, no wonder. And this no wonder meant to me, no wonder you are the way you are. The book was done to you as a child. And it wasn't as though I could condemn my mother for what was going on. It was more like I was living it through her heart and her eyes too. The poor thing, I mean, she didn't know what she was doing. She was so drugged. And I watched myself growing up. I watched myself meet my husband. I watched us date for four years. We got married. I watched my three children come into the world The whole thing, it was all there, like it took 32 years. This was not something I might have been out for maybe 20 minutes to an hour, but the experience of it in eternity felt like 32 years. And then I was back here. I was behind the nurse's station and I could see, and I could hear them and they were talking about my case. Because when my nurse did find me, I was unconscious when she found me. She was so upset that they sent her home early. And so I heard that and then I was back in my body. And the two nurses that I was listening to in the nurses station came in to check on me. And I said to them, you know, I left the bed again. And they said, no, 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 honey, you hallucinated. I said, no, I left the bed. And I know that my nurse was very upset when she found me. And please call her because you sent her home early. Please call her and tell her I'm okay and I'm not angry with her. And I got sedated again. A couple weeks later, I was out of the circle bed and they put this full body cast on me from my armpits to my knees. And I was gonna live like that for six months. When I came home, and I crawled into bed, I was lucky enough to be able to spend all those months thinking about what had happened, going over it, and over it, and over it, and putting together all these different elements of why I was the way I was, and how I could be a better person. I started praying, which I had never done since I was a little girl, and finally I wanted to go see a psychiatrist because I thought, a psychiatrist will know what happened. So my brother loaded me like a piece of furniture into the back of his van. And he took me to, he was the head psychiatrist at the hospital where I had been. And he was very patient. He listened to me over and over. And on the sixth visit, I told him what I just told you. And he listened and he took notes and then he told me that what I really wanted to do was go into psychoanalysis and when I was out of the body cast and I went through physical therapy, he would take me a couple mornings a week and we would do therapy. And he gave me a prescription for antidepressants because he told me I was depressed. And I knew back then too that I was not depressed that I was confused, that I was overwhelmed, but I was also, this new feeling was coming in that was called gratitude. I was so grateful for what God had shown me that I never took the pills. In fact, I was on a walker and I remember waddling into my bathroom and seeing all these pills on the counter. And I put down the prescription that he had just given me and I looked at them all And I realized that I was acknowledging what I was seeing as the way my mother's night table looked like. I used to count them. And she would have 26 bottles of pills on her bedside table. And I think I had close to 26. And I started opening them and I just poured them all down the toilet. Now, I know you shouldn't do that because that's polluting the earth, but at the time, in 1975, we weren't talking about that. But I flushed all 26 bottles of pills, or however many I had, down the toilet, and I just started praying. I wanted to be a better mother. I knew that if I would have continued on the same road I was on, I would have wound up being the same kind of mother that my mother was to me. And I went through physical therapy and then I couldn't do the things I did before because they felt so superficial. I loved Garden Club but all the rest of the things that I was participating in just seemed very superficial. So the first thing I did was volunteer at the hospital where I had been and I worked in the emergency room. I knew which patients that came in were going to die I would just go hold their hand and talk to them. And it it got to the point where the doctors on the emergency room staff knew if if they had a dying patient that they were going to hold, they would ask me to go and sit with them. And I loved it. I just loved being with dying people. So I realized I needed to go back to school and become some kind of healthcare worker. And I did. I became a respiratory therapist. And interestingly... My dying patients were telling me about their experiences. I was hearing about their parents coming to them or their grandparents or whoever, and little bits and pieces of life reviews and angels. I was hearing all these beautiful stories that other nursing staff people weren't hearing. It seems as though when we're going through something like this, we can detect who on the staff will let us talk and understand and validate us as opposed to the ones that don't want to know anything about it. It's just too scary. So I started writing about it. And luckily, I was getting published. My first paper was published in an RT journal when I was still a student. I was a student at 36 years old, not fresh out of college or high school. So I was publishing, and I I think I was the first one to call my subject the emotional needs of critical care patients. That's what it was. They were asking me to speak at RT conventions, respiratory therapy conventions, and I was teaching nursing staffs, and then something brand new came in called hospice, and I was invited to speak at hospice, and in all of these things that were happening at the same time, I met Kenneth Ring. Now, Kenneth Ring was the premier social psychologist at the University of Connecticut, who was writing about these experiences. He interviewed me for his book, Heading Toward Omega. And at the same time, Raymond Moody became a friend who wrote Life After Life and is just an incredible physician. And when he first heard my story, he told me that the reason why I had to go into a body cast for six months was because I was like the caterpillar that was going to become a moth, but I needed to go into a cocoon because my experience was so amazing. Then I met Bruce Grayson and we put together a conference. This was my dream, to have a conference of other therapists and nurses and doctors about writing about that this is real in the respect that people that are having these experiences need to talk about it and we need to have a team of healthcare people that will listen. And the reason why we have to have a team is that we get so enthusiastic after our experiences that we wear them out. So if you have a team, the different people can take turns listening. And that was a wonderful conference. We had 32 healthcare people talking about this for four days One thing led to another, and my marriage couldn't handle this. I was feeling very successful because I was getting published. We had been together for 23 years. He wanted me to go back to the way I was before I had my experience. And I knew that the only way to go back would have been to swallow who I had become. And the only way I could do that would be to take Valium all the time, and I wasn't willing to do it. The kids were older and we finally agreed to separate. When we did, at the same time, and we call these synchronicities, my life is filled with synchronicities. At the same time, Bruce Grayson was offered a position at the University of Connecticut Medical School, and that included a research assistant. So I applied, and I got this job, and for six years, I was interviewing other people who had near-death experiences and my dream was coming true because I had changed so much and I wanted to show that we all change after these experiences. There's no way to go back and shrink down to what we were before. We want to keep blossoming. We want to keep learning. I mean, we're professional learners. We want to know that what we're feeling. And what we're doing and what we're intuiting is real. And it's real for us, but it's not who a lot of us were before. Now, let me just say that if you were spiritual before this experience, it's like, oh, wow, I just had a spiritual experience. But if we weren't like me, if we were an atheist, there's no way to contain what we experienced. It's just going to keep expanding. It's just going to keep blossoming. Now, at the same time, in Ken Ring's book, Heading Toward Omega, what he was introducing was an energy pattern that's accepted and identified in the healthcare physicians in the East. The Eastern world calls this energy Kundalini. Here, we call it Holy Spirit if it's not in our body, but if it's in our body, there's more and more happening right now with energy medicine here in the West and I definitely was an energy worker and I was having so much fun doing it. I even went to massage therapy school in Connecticut and became certified as a massage therapist. I always said I was getting my license to touch people, but at the same time, I really didn't even have to touch them. I could just do energy work and I could see their color change. They would tell me that they were feeling better If they were in the hospital lying on a gurney, like in an emergency room, they would tell me that their medication was starting to work, their pain was subsiding. So this became my next exploration, was this energy. And finally, I joined a group of researchers from all over the world called the Kundalini Research Network, and every year we would get together somewhere in the States, but experts and gurus and, I mean, you name it, people who know about this energy and are working with it would come and give papers on how this energy works. And that was Ken's thesis and heading toward Omega. At the same time, I wanted to know if other people, besides myself, had been abused as kids. Not necessarily abused, but had repeated trauma in their childhood. So finally, I convinced Ken Ring to put a couple questions about child abuse or neglect in one of his instruments that he was sending out to his subjects. And sure enough, it came back that more than half of us had some kind of abuse in our childhood that was dominating us in our adult life. But then, in the near-death experience, there was a shift. Even to the point where people who attempted suicide and had a near-death experience didn't attempt again, which is a very interesting fact because most of the time they keep attempting. So we had all this great stuff coming up. And at that point, I just really wanted to go explore how we can work with these near-death experiencers if they were abused as kids, how we can help them to process that and let it go. And Ken and Bruce really weren't that interested in doing that. But coincidentally, at that very time, I met Charles Whitfield, who wrote that amazing book in the 80s that's still selling today called Healing the Child Within. Charlie Whitfield recognized in the 80s that his addicted patients' families were all having problems. But when the addict would go to AA, everybody would start getting better. The whole family unit would start to heal. So he observed this and turned it into this book, Healing the Child Within. He saw me on Larry King Live, and he knew he was coming up the next week into Connecticut to teach at an adult children of alcoholics conference. And he called me and invited me to come. Now he had sent me Healing the Child Within a few years earlier, Lots of people, lots of authors would send me books because we had a journal called the Journal of near Death Studies, and we would review books that we thought were pertinent to our stuff. Anyway, so I had his book. So before he came, I read the book and was absolutely delighted because everything I wanted to learn, he had already put in this book. It's a very simple, thin little book written in clear English no jargon, no medical jargon, just clearly how we can start to heal from either being abused or traumatized or neglected. My whole life shifted when I read that book because there were answers. At the same time, he was let go at his university because if you're a professor in a um, psychiatry department you don't write a book about demystifying healing. And he did. And since then he's written about another 20 books. And I've written 10 because we got together, we got married a few years later. And for the next 32 years, we were writing books together on healing. So that's been my life. And my life has been so amazingly before the NDE, And since the NDE, and at this point, I think it's been 47 years since the NDE. And what I just told you now is exactly what I could have talked about 35 years ago. Once you leave this dimension and you're in eternity, it doesn't go away. It's there in our hearts and our heads and in every part of us for the rest of eternity. And the other thing I want to tell you about as far as the after effects go for those of us that have had NDEs, Life becomes a real joy, even through the hard times. I mean, I lost Charlie last year. He died. And the grieving is awful. But at the same time, I can still have joy. Because joy's right there. And all you have to do is move into it. When I'm grieving, I'm just as sad as anybody else. But I also have the opportunity when I'm being distracted to be happy. And one of the things that Bruce had said when I was doing the research with him was that he observed that near-death experiencers, we don't habituate, that was the word he used, that every time is the first time. And that is such a gift, to have every experience is like a different experience. If I had the same experience before, that doesn't matter. I'm having it again for the first time. So that's a wonderful part for us. And the other thing is most of us, if not all of us, are not afraid of death. In fact, a lot of us go on to work in hospice or create our own kind of hospice where we're helping other people die. And as we're helping them die, we're with them. We're experiencing those first stages. And at the same time, if the family is involved, they can be experiencing it too. So here's another way to have a spiritual experience. You're with somebody who's dying and you. their energy, they're losing their physical energy by it transforming into spiritual energy because our spiritual energy is leaving our physical. But it doesn't mean that our spiritual energy is dying. It means we're separating from our body. So as our physical energy becomes more spiritual, we can actually, the word is entrain. We can entrain the other people who are in the room to start feeling what we're feeling. That's another trigger. I was doing a lot of public speaking back then when I was working at the university and people were coming up to me either after my talk or if we broke for coffee in the middle, they would come up to me and tell me their trigger. And triggers like losing a patient, that uh, losing a loved one, Bill Wilson, having a light experience while going through detox. Lots of addicts as they're drying out are having these experiences to the point where I was teaching at Rutgers alcohol and drug study program on when the 12th step happens first. People are having this experience before they go into 12 step programs. Their spiritual experience happens first. So it's the 12th step in AA. Childbirth is a big one spontaneously, just out of nowhere, years of practicing yoga, years of practicing meditation. The list goes on and on, and they're in all my books. And the one book in particular that I wrote in 1994, after I stopped working at the university, called Spiritual Awakenings, has all of the research that Bruce Grayson and I did for that six years, including explaining this energy system called Kundalini, And how it's activated, but certainly not completed in these kinds of spiritual experiences. But how to go on and work on it, how to go on and help this energy to clear up all these blocks that are going through our body. Then I have other books on different facets. Like I have one called Final Passage, and that's 14 stories of helping people die. Recently, before Charlie died, we wrote a book together called The It's about the secrets of medical marijuana, because we see cannabis as a wonderful alternative to taking psych drugs. Now, I have to tell you that us writing this way and talking this way has had several of my books canceled because I'm not going... With the pharmaceutical industry, I'm certainly not going with the politics that are going on in medicine right now, but my books have been picked up by the wellness company, and the wellness company is a group of physicians who don't want to practice the way the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry are dictating. So if you want to read any of my books, and they're all on my website, that's I have all the Charlie's books on my website too. It's called barbara-woodfield.com. If you don't want to take these prescription drugs anymore that are giving you horrible side effects. Don't stop them. You need a physician to help you slowly wean. And then check out the whole idea of natural medicine, because natural medicine is a heck of a lot more healthy. Anyway, if you have any questions and you want to write me through my website, there's a way to do it. So I'm always happy to answer questions. I'm always happy to try to tell you where to go or, or what your next step is and understand that once you get on this journey and it's a journey as of course the miracle says it's a journey without distance to a goal that has never changed and our journey is into our own heart our journey is into being who we really are being our authentic self not what other people want us to be So it's a journey without distance to a goal that has never changed. And I wish you well on your journey and it's an adventure, but get ready for the synchronicities because they're talking to us. To me, all these coincidences and my first book, Full Circle, the entire book is just from one coincidence to the next, how from the near-death experience, I was led to all the things I just told you about. So once you're on the journey, I believe, this is mine, and I uh, many other near-death experiencers believe the same thing, that these synchronicities are God guiding us, angels guiding us, Holy Spirit guiding us, Ruach HaKadosh guiding us, Kundalini guiding us. Whatever brand name you want, it's all the same. It's all spirit. It's all God. So anyway, good luck and bless you on your journey.